Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning that we can gather in this place and open up our Bibles and hear a word from you. And so we ask that you would speak. Speak to our hearts and show us our Savior. Show us what he has purchased for us. Show us the depths of his work that will extend into eternity. Show us your promises and give your people faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep us from distraction, that we would zero in on what you have to say in this text. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the middle of a lengthy argument here in Hebrews that tells us about the greatness of Jesus Christ. And the people that first received this letter some 2,000 years ago, they had started to struggle, suffer, and just find it hard to be a Christian. And they are starting to think that it might just be better for them if they went back to the old ways, find another path. And it seems that many of these people were former Jews, and they were thinking they might ought to go back to Judaism. Things were easier. Things were simpler when they were not calling themselves Christians. They found that following Jesus just did not remove all the obstacles in life. And maybe you have found out that same truth. That just becoming a Christian does not, as we used to hear in the Marines, it doesn't make life a bed of roses for you. It doesn't soften everything. It doesn't take away all the problems, all the sicknesses, all the distresses, all the woes of life. They aren't just removed. That's what these people had found, and they thought that maybe it would just be better to go back to the old ways. No other religion had ever had a legitimate claim to bring forgiveness with God, but Judaism offered that at one point under the covenant that was given in the days of Moses. But that covenant had passed away. It was all shadows and pictures and types of Christ concealed. It was hidden in mysteries until he came along and gave light to the salvation that God had been promising in the centuries before. And so this book that we call Hebrews, it lifts the veil off of some of those mysteries. I talked to a man recently who only thought of the gospel in its most simplistic terms. Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised, and we just need to move beyond those simple things. But that's not what the gospel is. Surely it includes that, but the gospel is far more. So I would even say that this morning as I read from Revelation, talking about what the Lamb has done and how we are washed 
and prepared for a kingdom that is still yet to come. That is still the element of the gospel. The gospel is there in that because it tells us who Jesus is and what he has done beyond just the surface level. And so what Hebrews is doing here, it does not keep us on the surface of the gospel. It continues to dig and dig and dig down into who Jesus is to increase our worship for him. That's what he's doing here. And so this book that we call Hebrews, it does tell us about these mysteries. It shows us the promises of God, how sinners have been saved, how he is bringing us home to him. And all of these promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. And so these people, they had been privileged to hear the message of Christ, but they are starting to waver a bit, starting to get a little weak in the knees as they walk the path behind Christ. And this writer, whoever it is, he loves them and is telling them that there is only one way ahead. There's only one. And so like them, you have no greater need than what Jesus offers to you. You have a lot of pressing issues, I'm sure. A lot of irons in the fire. Children that you're concerned about. Health problems. You've got bills to pay. But your greatest concerns are met in Christ. And all of that stuff that's forcing its way up to the top of your mind, all of those things that may have been distracting you even since maybe you sat down in this place today, when you lay all of those things before Jesus, you are being assured that he will not only be with you in it, but you're being assured that he is Lord over it. And he's going to use whatever those things are, those difficulties, those struggles, to make you stronger in your faith. It's the stuff of life. It threatens to steal the show, to take over your heart, to lead you astray. But keeping Christ there at the forefront of your mind and your heart, that will rightly order your life. So maybe this morning you do. You've got challenges. You've got distractions. You've got struggles. You need to understand that the main thing for you is following Jesus, having faith in him and obeying him and all of that other stuff. He will be Lord over it for you. He will lead you through it. It wants to take first place from him. But you must not let that happen. And we need to be reminded by God's word to stay firm, firm behind our Savior. He will not let you be lost. You might try to wander, but he's going to take his shepherd's crook and bring you back. So keep your eyes on him. When you start to put some distance between yourself and Jesus, as many of you all know, things start to get dicey. Things start to fall apart. 
Over the years, there have been a lot of people who have walked into the doors of these churches. They've walked right through those front doors like you have, and they have sat in these very seats. These seats have been here since 1939. A lot of people have been here. Some of those people, for a period of time, they maintained the look of a Christian. They affirmed the right things, they prayed the right way, and they appeared to live consistently with the truth of God's Word. And then there came a moment when things got hard. They started to struggle. Christ lost his luster. And they went back to their old way of living. And I've only been here for nine years, but I could give you names. I could give you names of people before I was here, people who have walked away since I've been here. And I'm sure that if you've been here for any length of time, you could probably give me some names too. What happened to them? What happened to those people who used to serve on the worship team or used to serve in children's ministry or youth ministry or whatever it was? They used to be out there. We used to see these people. What happened? Difficulties. Life. And they took their eyes off of Christ. The person who wrote this letter, he could give you some names from that particular church too, and he wanted to make sure that no more names were added to that list. And let it be said of us here. So there is a promise that's being made in this passage that is aimed at that purpose, to keep people on the path of faith, to keep people from wandering, to draw them back to their Savior, keep their eyes where it's supposed to be. And this is the promise. The promise is that there is rest available to the people of God. There's rest available to the people of God. There's rest for tired travelers, rest for weathered souls, and it's only given through Jesus Christ. And every human being needs that rest, and there's only one way to have it and to fail to reach it, to grasp it. That is the ultimate failure, to be barred from the gates of heaven in the outer darkness. At the end of the last chapter, we were shown the example of the Israelites there in the wilderness. You probably know the story, how they failed to listen to the voice of God. He made promises to them. He rescued them from Egypt and Pharaoh, from slavery, promised a land to them flowing with milk and honey, and there was a kind of rest there for them at the end of their journey. But all along the way, that people, as God said, were stiff-necked. They weren't soft in their hearts. They didn't listen to his voice. Yeah, they heard it with their ears, but they didn't hear it with their hearts. And because of that, God swore he would not let them enter his rest. So they died out there in the wilderness and never found it. And those people are held up as an example for us. They saw things far greater than you did. Believe that with their eyes. They heard promises from God from the mountain that shook and fire coming down from heaven. God fed those people real food from the sky every day. Every day. 
They drank water out of a rock. Have you ever drank water out of a rock? I haven't. And they did not believe. When the moment came to have faith and go in and take that land, they did not believe. So God said, you will not enter my rest. They did not enter, as the last verse there in chapter 3 says, because of unbelief. Oh, it's astounding. What do you mean they didn't believe? And so there is a warning for us there. They didn't believe. Keep going forward and demonstrate that you do believe the promise that has been given to you. So let's read together chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Heavenly Father, these words are strong and solemn, but they also hold a great deal of promise for us. We are being told there is rest for us, but will we grasp it? Will we treat this as common? or just another thing that we're being told in this world? Or will we treat this as your word to us, that you are speaking to us today, and you say, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts like they did. And Father, there may be people in this room right now who have hardened hearts. Would you tenderize them with your word? Make them soft and receptive that they will not harden their heart and not find rest like these ancient people failed to do. May we take this with all seriousness today that there is life and death in front of us, heaven and hell 
There is a crucified Savior who has come to do everything on our behalf. Will we listen to his voice or will we sit there and act like we're above it all? Oh God, may it not be so. Please have the attention of this people today. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to walk with you through these verses and try to make things as clear as I can uh, because this is a tightly wound argument. And I want to draw out some truths for us to apply and ensure, ensure that we have the promised rest of God for ourselves. I want every person to be able to walk out of this place today knowing that they have grasped this rest, that it's yours. So if you would, please have your Bible open. Be looking at these verses along with me. Look at verse 1. What's he telling us there? Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. We're being told here clearly that there is a rest that is available for the people of God. But based on what happened to those people from long ago, those people who started out well, because of what happened to them, we need to be on heightened alert. Heightened alert. I don't know what color that is, yellow or orange or whatever it is for homeland security for the military or whatever. Heightened alert for the people of God to ensure that we do not end up like they do. They saw things that we will never see, and yet they did not believe the promises that were given. So be on guard. That's what he is saying there. The promise is there. The warning is there too. Let us fear and have a certain kind of fear, right? I think, I think children in a, in a home need to have like a, a good balance of fear for mom and dad and love, right? I think we kind of get that. You know, we're friendly. I call my children my buddies. I've called every one of them that. They're my friends. I love them. They need to know that they're loved, but they also need to know there's a kind of line that's there in the sand too. There needs to be a right kind of fear of their dad. Don't cross that line. And that fear is good. It's a good kind of fear because it keeps them where they are supposed to be, walking along the path in the right kind of way, lest the anger of dad should fall upon them. But it's this way in God's word too, is it not? Let us fear, a right kind of fear. We know we are loved by God. But let's not get lax like these people did and find that we do not reach the rest of our Father. Verse 2, he tells us that there was a kind of good news that came to those people. They did get good news. God will give you a good land to live in. He said that again and again, land flowing with milk and honey. He'll save you out of Egypt. He'll take care of you out there in the desert. He's going to conquer all of your enemies, all of those giants in the land. He's going to wipe all of them off. Yes, you're going to have to go in there and pick up a sword, but God will be with you. You will conquer. 
All you have to do is believe these promises and go in and take it. But they did not. That was their good news. And we've been given good news too, have we not? It's better news that we have received. Fullness of news that God sent his son to come and rescue us as well from slavery to sin. He saved us from death. It's done. There at the cross and the empty tomb, it was all completed, and he invites us into his rest. And do you see there in verse 2 what connects you with that promise? What joins you to the promise of God? He tells us it's faith. It's faith. But you don't have to do anything or earn anything, achieve anything. You are simply called to believe. And the promised rest is yours based on what Jesus has done for you. Verse 3 affirms this. Those people lacked faith in what they heard. We see again that quote from Psalm 95. What does he say there? As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Where there is no faith... There can be no rest. And it's not just any old rest that we were promised there. God is speaking. God is speaking. And he says in his promise that it is my rest. It's God's rest. That's what we're being invited into, the rest that God has. It's his, his own personal rest. And where is it in Scripture that we ever see anything about God's rest? Where do we see that? Well, the end of verse 3 and 4 tells us. It was when he made the world. He made the world in six days, and then on the seventh he did what? He rested. He rested on day seven. We're being invited into God's rest. And if these people were being tempted to go back into Judaism, can you see how this might be important in his argument? What did the Jewish people do on the seventh day of the week? They rested. The seventh day was the Sabbath. And what was their Sabbath day patterned after? God's rest. God created for six days, rested on the seventh, and so his people would work for six days and then rest on the Sabbath day. They ceased from their works just as God had ceased from his. And they used their time to praise the name of the Lord. It was a day of worship, a day of rest. And if these people are thinking about going back to the old ways, this had some practical implications in their lives, did it not? So if they went back to Judaism, what were they going to have to do? They had become accustomed over time to worshiping when? On the first day of the week with all the other Christians. It was called the Lord's Day. It was patterned after the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So now they worship on that day as a Christian. But if they're going to go back to Judaism, what does that mean? They will stop worshiping on the first day of the week 
and go back then to worshiping on the seventh. So we can see why this is an important theme for the author to work through. But what was the point of the Sabbath? The real point of the Sabbath. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that God was genuinely taking care of the bodies of the people. He was teaching them something about patterns in life and how to live in a healthy way. You work for six days, not five like we're told from our culture, right? You got the whole weekend. You got those two days off. No, God said you're going to work six days. You're going to work six days, and then you rest on the seventh like he did. He was concerned about their bodies, but more is going on there than that for sure. It pointed to a greater rest. The Sabbath was an earthly picture of a greater rest that was still yet to come. That's what verses 6 and 7 tell us. They tell us that there is a greater rest still available. The offer of God's rest did not end with the people there in the wilderness. The rest that he had promised was not just for that generation. So if they could just get to the promised land, rest was done. No. There was a greater rest that was still yet to come. How do we know that? How do we know that that's the case? Because Psalm 95 was written by David about 400 years after the generation of that wilderness people. That's his argument that he uses right here. So look at what he says there. He says, today, verse 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When is today? It's not back there when those people were wandering in the desert. This is David writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit long afterwards. So God is saying, when this was penned, today there is still rest available for you. It's not all been sewn up. It wasn't even finalized when those people finally did go in and take the land. That's what he says there in verse, I think it's verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there was a generation that eventually went in there and took the land, right? So though that first generation died, they did not enter God's rest. But here comes the generation behind them, their children and their grandchildren. Those people did go in and take the land. But he's saying that even when they did take that land, they did not receive God's final rest. They took hold of a, another picture of that rest. They did live in the land that was flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua did take these people into the land, but God's ultimate rest, the rest that is being promised here, it was not there. So like the Sabbath, the promised land was an earthly picture of God's perfect rest. And we know that I mean, just even an understanding that wilderness generations walk through the wilderness and trying to get to the Jordan River, that on the other side was this place for them. We understand that there's something there for us in that too, right? 
that we're wandering in a kind of desert right now. Not everything makes sense to us. And we're simply told that man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Will you listen to him and obey him? And you will cross the river Jordan into the celestial city, heaven, where your rest is. So we are being promised a kind of rest that was pictured in the first promised land. But it only symbolized a greater rest that was still yet to come. And because David writes all those years later about entering God's rest today, and because this writer of God's word quotes it for the people in his generation some 1,500 years after, right? Well, not quite that long, a 1,000 years after, I guess, but quite some time. He quotes these verses later for his own generation. He tells, he's telling them that today rest is available for you. And because we are readers of that same word and have received that same good news that they had, rest is still available to us. The same rest, as long as it is called today. Is it today? That's the only day we know, isn't it? Today, until there's no longer today. One of these days, today will be the last day. But as long as it is called today, the gates are open for the people to come in and find rest. That's verse 9. So he says there in verse 9, based on all I've said before, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's there for us. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Can you say this morning that you know something of the rest that God offers? That you believe in what has been offered to you through the good news that was preached to you? Or even through the good news that's being preached to you? That Jesus Christ is your Sabbath rest. And he opens up to us the rest that God has had, he has enjoyed since the creation of the world. We're pressed in verse 11 to strive to enter into it, we are told. And he's already told us how we are to strive to do that, by doing what that former generation did not do, by believing the voice of God. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Believe what he says. Have you believed? Have you believed in your heart that you need rest for your soul? Have you believed that you are a sinner separated from God but joined to him by faith through what Jesus Christ has done? And are you now living in obedience to him? Not just this empty faith where you say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But has your life been transformed by it to be conformed to the word of God? All of our rest 
that's being promised to us here is wrapped up in Jesus Christ because he is the good news that was first preached to us. Look at verse 10. It says, anybody who has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. That is the substance of this rest that he's been talking to us about. What does it mean to have rest? I think, think, you know, we might say, well, I'm tired. I need a break. Like, what what does it mean to have this kind of rest? Well, he tells us there in verse 10. It's a resting, a ceasing from our works. And this is what Jesus has come to do for us, to make it possible for us to cease from our works, to give us rest from our labors, to give us rest from the struggles of this life. Like what? From fear, from doubts, from sin, from idols, from slavery, and maybe some modern words that'll help, from the rat race, from keeping up with the Joneses, from trying to be good enough, from disappointments, from sickness, from sadness, from abuses, from brokenness, from the world. This is what Jesus said while he was on earth. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And just in case we might think that Jesus is talking about a different kind of rest, There in Matthew, then what we're talking about here in Hebrews, well, Matthew clears that up pretty quickly because as soon as that word is said, Jesus immediately starts teaching on the Sabbath. He's saying that he really is our Sabbath rest. He's the fulfillment of it. And we need to hear that. Our souls need to grab a hold of that. That Jesus came and did all the necessary works for us, and there is nothing left for you and I to add to it. And when he ascended into heaven, he's entered into the rest of God. He is the first man to reach it. He's gotten there. He's enjoying the rest of God right now. And because we have been joined to Jesus by our faith, we experience something of this rest now while we are here on earth. Let me say that one more time. Jesus, our Savior, is there already as our forerunner. First man into heaven enjoying the rest of God. And because you and I are united to Jesus by our faith, Ephesians chapter 2 can already say to us that we are seated in the heavenly places. There is a something about us that's already there, and his name is Jesus Faith has genuinely linked you with him. And because you're linked with him and he has the rest of God, you enjoy something of that rest as you sit here right now. What a promise that we can find rest for our souls today, as it is said here. By faith, we get a taste of God's rest because we believe the good news that has come to us. We don't have to try and impress God or impress men 
or impress ourselves with anything. Our burden, our burden to be good enough has been lifted by Jesus. And so he says to take up the yoke with him, that he's the strong one. Have you ever, have you ever tried to move a heavy object before with somebody else two people grabbing hold of this thing, and as you're carrying it out, you realize that you're really not doing anything. Like all you've, do, all you've done is just put your hands on it, and the other person is carrying all the weight, and you're kind of embarrassed. You know, you don't want to take your hands off of it just to demonstrate that, man, I'm not doing anything. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that his yoke is easy. Why? Because all of the weight is on him. He's taking it all. And that's what we are being called to faith in, a Savior who has carried the weight for us, who completes all of our works for us. He's completed them. He's done everything necessary. You simply need to believe it and enter into the rest that he has achieved. But there's another side of the coin when it comes to our works that deserves to be mentioned here. That you and I, we still have works to do, do we not? We're called to good works. It's not just, well, I'm saved, I'm secure, and I can just sit here and wait for Jesus to bring me home. No, you have been saved to do good works for Christ's sake. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us something of this too. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we have been saved from having to do good works to earn God's favor. We've been saved from that. But by grace, we have received God's favor so that we will now do good works. We don't do them to impress God. We do them because we love God. And will those works that you do be perfect? No. But because we have been created in Christ Jesus, we've been born again and joined to him, the works that we do, that have been prepared before us for us to complete, even though we do them imperfectly now because we are in Christ God sees them and declares them as good. So when you give sacrificially to help a brother in Christ or serve him sacrificially, God does not look at what you've done and say, well, he tried. I appreciate the effort, but man, what he did still was pretty sorry. No, he sees those works and delights in them just as they are because they've been joined to a perfect Christ by faith. And that's what these people in the wilderness did not have. That's what we are being called to have, faith in the voice of God. I think that's what verses 12 and 13 are teaching. The voice of God came, and they did not delight in it. It's a word that exposes us for what we are. Will we believe it or will we not? We cannot hide from the word of God. Have you ever had somebody's voice that you dreaded hearing? Every time you heard that voice, you just, ugh. That's what the wilderness generation was with the Lord. When they heard his voice, they didn't want it. And so the call goes out to us today. Will we be a people who delight in the voice of God and believe what he has told to us and hold firm to his promises and believe that Jesus Christ 
is your Sabbath rest. And he will lead you into your final rest in the true promised land. So let us strive, brothers and sisters, to enter that rest together so that none of us may fall by the same sort of disobedience that those ancient people did. So let us look to our Savior together and find Him as the rest that He is for our souls. Heavenly Father, we thank You today that we can open up Your Word and hear Your voice. Today, we need to be a people who hear Your voice. And may it be sweet to our ears that as we hear about Jesus Christ and what He has done, that again, we will not trample upon it, count it as common, or just some other news, just news like all the rest. May our hearts be in tune with yours and see it as the good news that it is. And may it change our eternity as we believe it and find rest for our souls. We ask it in Jesus' name.